you for tuning in to the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I am a licensed professional counselor with a private practice here in Atlanta, Georgia, where I specialize in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And on the Push Through Podcast, we're going to talk all things motherhood, womanhood, childhood, and everything in between, and sometimes random things that are on my mind. So please sit back, relax, and let's have a chat. Good morning, everyone. I'm a little later with posting this episode of the podcast. Um, Usually they go up every Wednesday, and this may go up before the end of the day if I can edit it. Um, But usually I record like early and I'm on it, but my zen has been off, y'all. So please forgive me. And when I say that my zen has been off, this pregnancy is coming towards my last eight weeks. Yeah, I only have eight weeks left. And um, it's taking a bit of a toll. (laughs) It's, It's different than my first pregnancy physically. Um... And there's a lot of reasons why it is different. Um, my job is different than what it was that I was doing when I was pregnant with my first. I travel an hour and a half to go into work. And that in itself with traffic is a lot. And then I have a toddler where I didn't have any kids the first time around. And sometimes I notice that Things can kind of trickle along to kind of throw me off and it'll make me get thrown off. And I'm one of those like holistic people that needs a variety of things to feel like really grounded and really like in place. And if my sleep is off, then I'm off. And that's kind of what's been going on. So it all kind of started on Saturday. I went to a friend's birthday party, slumber party, which was great and fun and it was a good time, and we all stayed up, or a good bit of us stayed up until, well, at least me. Some stayed up later, but I stayed up until 3 a.m. talking. And then I had to leave at 6.45 a.m. to get back home so that my husband could go to work. And surprisingly, I had all this energy, and I don't know if it was just like, you know, sometimes like how your body just gets up, gets used to a certain time that you wake up, so you're just up. Um, so that might've been what it is. So I got groceries, I cleaned up, I did laundry and, um, I took care of all of those things. And I took like a two hour nap with my son. So I felt good, but it wasn't till about five o'clock where I started to crash and I was having extreme lower back pain and I was having these subtle, subtle cramps. They kind of felt like period cramps. And um, I I just kind of concluded all to like Braxton Hicks and just everything kind of getting into preparation, but it was just very uncomfortable and then starting to get tired. And I was like cooking as well. I made like some pulled pork sandwiches because it was Super Bowl Sunday, even though we didn't watch it because my husband was at work and I wasn't that interested. But I did <laughs> make pulled pork from scratch. So I had to like, 
um, roast and simmer and saute and all that stuff of this um, pork and marinade and all of that stuff. And that took like a couple of hours to do. And it was really delicious. So then that night, I didn't sleep again. Um, so that Saturday night, I only got like, really didn't even sleep. Like I laid down, but I didn't sleep. And then Sunday night, I didn't sleep. And then Monday, I was just like out of it. And my back was still really hurting me. I didn't want to go into work, but you know, I'm in private practice and I'm a therapist. And it's, it's not like you can just like call out. Like, like usually it has to be like a legitimate emergency for me to ever cancel for a day or I have to be like seriously sick. And I knew that Tuesday I would be working from home. So I pushed through and I didn't start to feel better until Monday afternoon. And even still, I was still off, but something that really helped with my first pregnancy um, was listening to music that kind of helps reground me emotionally Um, So I've been listening to Aretha Franklin's Greatest Hits, which I absolutely love. And that helped a bit, came home, took a long shower on Monday night. And I still didn't sleep Monday night. (laughs) So then I was just kind of dragging all day yesterday. But needless to say, last night I finally got a good night's rest. And which is why I'm waking up this morning to record the podcast. I, I said that long, detailed story to say that I'm better. But I will say with listening to Aretha Franklin's greatest hits, it makes you remember how talented she was. Like, I know that we kind of like know that she's talented, but like Aretha was like talented. She's one of those voices, like Etta James's voice, that is very distinct, is hard to replicate, that is effortless. You ever see like some artists now, like they need like to drink their lemon tea. They need to like warm up where Aretha could like, you know, leave a house party, get up on stage and like break a ballot, like no preparation at all. Like it's just innate. And if you haven't listened to her greatest hits or if you haven't listened to her in a long time, I highly suggest that you do because this is one of my favorite songs by her. good, right? (laughs) Um, And I'm one of those people who likes to know just like random facts about people because, you know, I think that people are fascinating. I've said this like several times. I just love to just know how people are, who they are, especially when they're incredibly talented like she is or was. Um, So something about Aretha was she had her first child when she was 12 years old. And she had her second when she was 14. She had two other kids later in life. Um, But there's not much information as far as who did she get pregnant by? What was life like? You know, she grew up in a very religious home. Her father was a minister. 
Um, she was in the church. I know that her parents had separated. She was primarily raised by her father and several other women in her life, grandmother. Even she was raised by like Mahalia Jackson for a period of time. But I just thought that was really interested. interesting that she was so young and a mother. And throughout her life, she had a lot of heartache from failed relationships. She even dated the guy from Different World that was the lieutenant or the sergeant, the black guy, who was like over ROTC. They were married at one point, which is just crazy. Um, and another random thing, this is like random, random before I get into the show. <laughs> I was also reading up on um, Princess Diana because I just thought like this whole Harry and Meghan Markle thing is just so interesting and how this is, hasn't really ever happened before where someone just ups and decides to leave the castle and royalty. But anyway, so I'm reading up about Princess Diana, things I did not know. She was 16 when she met Prince Charles and he was 13 years her senior. So he was like 29 and he dated her sister before he started courting her. So they get married when she's like 18 and then she gets pregnant with Prince William. And apparently like in her perspective, according to her autobiography, Prince Charles was very hard on her and critical of her and she could never like do anything right. And she was miserable and she was depressed and she thought she was gonna be like very inadequate. And there was just like so much pressure on her from um, the environment of people in England and London and pressures within um, the court, just like so much on her shoulders. And she just felt like she needed to be somebody that she just genuinely wasn't, which is so interesting how that kind of parallels to what's going on with Harry and Meghan. But while she was pregnant with Prince Charles, she threw herself down the stairs in hopes of losing the baby because she was terrified that she wasn't going to live up to those expectations. And I just thought that was so interesting, like the things that you don't know. Because during that time of Princess Diana and Prince Charles, I was like a child, like a small kid. Like I vaguely even remember her wedding. So, and I'm trying to think like, was I alive when she got married? <laughs> but it was a long time ago. So I didn't really know that much. I just, I really knew when she died that I definitely remember. I can't remember what grade I was in, but also I didn't know she was 36 when she died. I'll be 36 this year. I didn't realize she was that young when she died in that car crash, but those are just two motherhood um, things that I kind of, that stuck out to me that I read about two different, vastly different women. Um, but listening to that Aretha Franklin album has really calmed me. And it, it also gave me some thoughts about what I wanted today's episode to be. So since last week, it was a very, very heavy week because Kobe Bryant had died last week, Sunday. So it's been over a week now, if you can believe it. And every client that came into my office talked about how that kind of also affected their week. And it was some things that were on top of, it was something that was on top of already some stressors that they were dealing with. And it just made it feel even heavier. And it was interesting 
which I always say about how people we don't know can affect us when they pass. And it's not to say that anyone should feel ashamed by it because um, definitely people who have prominent status, whether in sports um, and community actresses, just celebrities in general, they can influence us and we can, you know, grow up with them and we can have seen them for years. We've never met them. We don't know, you know, them personally. But a lot of times when they die in a tragic way, it can really hit home and it can give a lot of perspective. So initially, I was going to make this episode about self-care, um, how to take care of yourself as a woman, as a human, as a mother. But then I started to think as my zen was interrupted, which Kobe probably played a, a part in that as well. And this was like a buildup of me just not feeling like myself. I decided that I wanted to go ahead and make this episode about my birth story and about um, how life was for me after I gave birth to my first. And um, another thing that probably threw me off, which this is random, I was watching all of these documentaries last week. Why? I do not know. So we got Kobe Bryant's deaths going on. Um, Everybody's grieving. It's all over television. It's all over social media. Every time you you turn something on, it's there. I had clients that were talking about it. My husband was devastated, as I said in our last episode. And for some reason, why I don't know, I decided to watch three documentaries all last week. So I binged watch Aaron Hernandez's documentary on Netflix. And I had been kind of like watching it here or there over like the past few weeks, but I finally finished it. And then I watched Surviving R. Kelly 2, <laughs> finished that one. That was five episodes. And then, this is not all in the same day, so this is like over time. Then on Saturday, HBO had a documentary about, um, I can't think of the name of it. I'll, I'll try to look it up and I'll put it in the show notes. But it was basically about parents raising children with emotional behavioral disorders or like intermediate explosive disorders. And of course, I'm in mental health. So like all of this stuff is so interesting to me, but it still like sits on you and you like carry it with you. And my heart just went out to the parents that have to raise children who have these disorders because there's not a lot of resources out there for them. And especially if they have other children in the house and schools will kick them out and medications or just be like, let's try this dose and let's try this dose. And They can be like literally scared at night to sleep in this house with this child that is theirs, that they love, but the child is just off the chain, you know? So it was all of that on top of no sleep, um, on top of feeling uncomfortable and physically just kind of feeling like uh, I'm I'm over the pregnancy now at this point, (laughs) like... Um, It was all like compounded and it made me think about my first pregnancy onto life after I've had my baby. And I said in in our first like intro episode that I was going to tell the story this season, but I wanted to wait until I was in a good place to tell it. So why not impromptu talk about it? Um, So during my first pregnancy, in comparison to this one, my first pregnancy was far more stressful than this one and not stressful in anything that was going on with Ezra, which is the name of my son. Um, 
he was great. And him being great is kind of an example that I'm going to use later about his personality and how much of a gift he is to me. Um, My pregnancy with Ezra was absolutely easy. I did not have morning sickness. I did not have any type of extreme weight gain. I didn't have preeclampsia. I didn't have any medical issues, no gestational diabetes, like nothing easy. I don't think I even started to really show until I was like seven months pregnant, like show, show. I was able to run most of my pregnancy, like run like five miles at the park, felt good, exercised, stayed healthy, ate healthy, literally would have moments where I would forget that I was pregnant because I had absolutely no symptoms. (laughs) So physically, he was so pleasurable to carry. And it was the things that that was actually stressful for me were outside factors. So it was October. I was due in January. January 22nd was my due date, 2017. So it was October 2016 that I found out I was getting laid off from my job. Now, at this point, I was doing private practice on the side, part-time, And I was working full-time for an insurance company where I was in their behavioral health department, um, being the person that authorizes behavioral health benefits for providers. And the company that I was working for was doing a massive layoff. Now, simultaneously, my husband had just graduated from a doctoral program and was studying to take his boards and had passed, but was having a hard time finding a job in his field because in Atlanta, the jobs were very saturated. And it was definitely a financial struggle for us at that time. And having to learn that I was going to be laid off was hard. So it was literally like within a few days, he landed a job, but it was outside of the city, very far away. It was about two hours, maybe like three hours (laughs) outside of the city. So we decided that, okay, so I'm going to get laid off, but you got a job and we are financially are going to be okay, but we need to figure out where we're going to live. How can we get as close to where you're going to be working without leaving Atlanta completely and how to prepare for this new baby? So it was a lot of quick decisions to make. So we decided to look for a house because my job um, able were able to give me a temporary position in a different department until January 3rd. So it was fortunate because I was at least going to have medical insurance until January. Because, you know, like with my husband starting a new job, usually it takes about 90 days before your insurance could kick in. So that was a whole nother thing. So like all of these moving parts of having to like suddenly think about. So we started looking for a house and we found a house closed within 45 days. And when you're not prepared to search for a home, (laughs) it can be stressful because you don't really have all your ducks in a row. You know, you haven't really like gotten all this paperwork that, you know, that they're going to need from the lender. And 
you know, what your bank account looks like, just all of that stuff. It was just impromptu, although it happened. So we, we had it all, but we just didn't have it all in place. It just wasn't a thought. But where we found the house to live made the three-hour drive only a two-hour drive for his commute. But it was still close enough where we were close enough to Atlanta so we weren't too far away from his mother and my mother. Even though my mother still lived an hour and a half away from where we were moving to and his mother was 30 minutes away. So that was the plan. So then we had to break the lease out of our apartment. I moved in with my mother-in-law. My husband would have days where he would stay out where he was working because he had some friends that lived in that area where he was going to be working at instead of commuting back and forth when he had to be at work early like the following day. So that was like a whole thing, (laughs) just navigating and figuring all of that out and being very conscious about, you know, money, making sure we would have everything set up by the time Ezra got here. Um, go into appointments and even just like although we were able to close in 45 days that's still a very anxiety stricken feeling um, of not knowing like are we going to get the house are we going to get it are we going to get approved are they you know they approved us for the loan but are they gonna are they gonna find something is this all gonna work out because you have to keep in mind I was gonna be losing my job soon and my husband had just had a job so I was the one who had the Oh, she's been with this company for so many years. It was kind of all riding on me. And we needed this all to happen before my last day with the company. So I had a lot of anxiety, (laughs) a lot of anxiety. And sometimes I would be so anxious, I could feel my stomach tightening and I would get Braxton Hicks. And that was when I was saying I would listen to Best of Anita Baker album or Best of Sade on repeat to kind of ground me and bring me back. Um, So we closed. I was with my mother-in-law for about a month. Then we moved into the house and um, started to move things into the house like bit by bit because things were all up in storage. And things started to kind of calm down. Um, But it was very lonely a bit because like I said, sometimes my husband would just stay out where he was working My mother lived an hour and a half away. My mother-in-law, she was 30 minutes away, but she still works full time. And we were very far away from all of our friends. Um, All of our friends were like on the other side of Atlanta. So we were about an hour, hour and a half away from friends. So I would just be like in this empty house, this empty brand new house (laughs) by myself. Um, Because at this point, the job had ended I had literally nothing to do all day, but just kind of just wait until my due date or whenever my baby wanted to show up. So then I go into labor on January 20th, 10 p.m. I start having contractions five minutes apart and um, go into the hospital. My husband fortunately had just gotten off of work, had come home. We went to the hospital checked in and um I had some payments I wasn't dilated that much maybe like two centimeters so I was able to get some payments get a couple of hours of sleep and it wasn't until about um maybe four o'clock I really started dilating a good bit where the doctor said Um, soon, you know, I would be able to start pushing. So about five, 
15, I was nine centimeters. And she said, okay, we'll just start pushing. We'll see how this goes. Pushed maybe like five times. He came right on out. And it was not bad at all. Like, like when I tell you, pregnancy was flawless. Labor and delivery was flawless. Ezra just came out. Um, I did tear, but it wasn't painful because a human came out of my body at the time that I I tore. So it was like, what is really pain? I don't know because there's so much going on. (laughs) So that part wasn't bad. And he was a beautiful little boy. It's so crazy to like think back at it. Um, he had these beautiful almond-shaped eyes and his head full of hair. And I remember when he came out, I was just like waiting to hear he was that he was gonna cry because I was just, you know, you're just worried. And um, he cried, and I was also always worried about the umbilical cord wrapping around him. And could you just hear these stories about babies having the cord wrapped around them and them not being able to breathe? So that was a really big concern that I had. But my husband said when he was coming out, the cord was wrapped around him, but he kind of just threw his arm like get off of me and just came out. And he was just precious. And it was like this weird, this weird feeling I had. It was like. He was mine, but it was like I was babysitting. I don't know. Like it's it's hard to explain. And there are other mothers that I've spoken to that have similar feelings. But it's like you know this baby is yours. Obviously, you carry them. But it's also just like this disconnect. I don't know if it's like the brain is taking a minute to process that this is your child. This is the one that you've been carrying. Because it was... You're so used to having all of these 30-something years of being this solo person. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, here's your human. You have them for the rest of your life. It was just like a very quick turnaround for me. And so I didn't have that instant bond with him that I know is often portrayed in movies and television where you just see them and they're just like, oh my gosh, this is mine. And I've heard several other women say that too, like, you know, this is my gift and and this is wonderful. And it was like, I was very grateful to have him. I felt blessed to have him. I felt blessed that my pregnancy was easy, that delivery was easy. I felt very, very, very fortunate. But I did recognize in that moment how there was a disconnect in me really processing that this was my baby and this was not a temporary experience, if any of that makes sense. So then um, eventually we go to the room, milk's coming out just fine, breastfeeding goes just fine. Um, He's doing well. I did not get any rest at the hospital. If people think that you get rest at the hospital, that does not happen. Someone is always coming into your room constantly, peeking, probing you, asking you questions throughout the night. There's no rest in the hospital (laughs) at all. None, none. And, um... And so that was just kind of hard as well because I was extremely tired from that starting point. And I told you, like, sleep is a, is a huge foundation for me to feel normal. Um, so that was kind of like the start of that. And um, he was still fine, chill, perfect, rarely cried at all at that point. 
And then um, I just started to kind of feel like I was in, like, captured or, like, in a prison. Because I ended up being in the hospital for three days. Why? I'm not sure. I'm sure there was a reason, but I can't remember. And I just felt like I'm so ready to to go home. Because you don't, like, leave the room. The baby is in the room with you. I remember my husband said, let's go for a walk. So we were going to go down to the birth certificate office to go ahead and get that filled out. So we had sent Ezra to the nursery. But I don't think that they promote the baby being in the nursery. Because we had been gone maybe for like 30 minutes and they were like looking for us. Like, where are you? Your child is here. Come get him. (laughs) And and it was just like I couldn't get like a, a moment, you know. But I didn't even stay in the the birth certificate office long and even in the walk back it was hard because I was starting to be lightheaded and it was hard to walk because I had lost a lot of blood and you know you're still bleeding after you have the baby so I just didn't have that much energy was lightheaded so we came on back and eventually I did get discharged came home um my mother came for two nights and that was helpful Um, My husband's mother came for a day or two, I think. But this was also a weird thing that was playing through my mind was I didn't want anyone to think that I didn't have a handle of it. So I already knew that there was this disconnect and I'm trying to figure things out. Although my milk flow came in well, it was still like an adjustment because you have this human being that's sucking on your <laughs> on your nipples for like hours at a time and it's painful and your your nipples are just getting used to it. So I had a lot of cuts and um, there was even one time where I put Ezra down and I saw blood coming from the side of his mouth and I freaked out and I realized that my nipples were bleeding from breastfeeding and it had come from there and I felt guilty like how could you be so stupid to be feeding him and you were bleeding you know how could you have put that in his mouth and this is like in my head which naturally I mean this shit just happens you know like there was nothing that I could have done about it my nipples are getting adjusted um how would I have known he he's fine but I, I started to have this like really hard internal dialogue with myself. So then the other thing that happened was baby blues hit. And I felt very emotional. And again, I was having all of this internal dialogue. And I remember my husband kept inviting people over. Well, I don't know if he was inviting them over, but people wanted to come over, see the baby. And these were a lot of his friends. And these were people who weren't, these were like men who weren't going to be, you know, Keisha, let me, let me get the baby so you can go take a shower. Let me cook y'all a meal. Like they were coming to like hang out and be hosted. And I felt like I looked a mess (laughs) and, you know, I I have no shirt on because I'm trying to air off my chest and I'm getting used to everything and I'm getting used to him. And I remember my husband was like, oh, so-and-so is coming over. And this was like the fourth or fifth person that was going to be coming over in like the the past week that we had been home. And I flipped out in the kitchen. 
And I just like started crying. And I was saying that I felt like I had no control. And like people were just making all of these decisions without me. And I, I was just like a prisoner in my home. And, and then I felt like everybody was looking at me <laughs> because my mother-in-law was there. He was there. And it just, it was just this weird feeling and it. And it was, it's so hard. Like when you're in it to describe it, cause it's like you're outside of yourself. So you feel like you're being completely irrational, but at the same time, like you're just full of all of this emotion that you can't explain. So eventually baby blues subsided. And then colic came. Um, And if you don't know what colic is, colic is when a healthy baby cries a lot for a longer time than most babies. Um, During the first three months of life, they cry more than at any other time. And typically it's intense crying and fussiness due to typically when a baby has a significant amount of gas. So... Yes, the baby develops a lot when they're pregnant. I mean, when you're pregnant and they're in the womb, but there's still a lot of development that's happening after they're born. And the baby, definitely within those three months, are just growing at an exponential rate. And their their gastro organs have not fully developed to be able to really digest a lot of the things that they're consuming and being that I'm the one that's breastfeeding and he's solely drinking off of my my milk whatever I'm consuming he's consuming and not everything I'm consuming is something that his stomach has developed to be able to consume not all babies experience colic but Ezra did and this happened when everybody started to like go off and live their lives so Mother-in-law went to work. My mother's back at home in her town. My husband's back at work. You know, remember we're an hour and a half away from friends. I don't have a job. So I'm just home with this baby that's crying all the time. And there's nothing that I know what to do. And I didn't think at the time that it was me and what, what am I consuming to make him be this way? I'm just trying to figure it out. Like, is it the diaper? Um, is it, are you cold? Are you warm? Do I need to hold you? Like, I don't know what it is. And he just cries and cries and cries. And it was so bad because usually colic is the worst in the evenings. This is another, again, so remember I said anxiety really started to settle in before I gave birth because we had so much transition and change. And also remember in that episode when I talked about postpartum, how there's a lot of risk factors that set you up for postpartum depression or perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. So all of my risk factors that I had going against me was far away from supports, not many supports, job loss, moved to a new house, um, husband two hours away at work, at home alone. And there was a financial change because I went from having my own money to not having it anymore and being a new mother and carrying this anxiety over into postpartum. So 
it would be around nine o'clock. I would put him down and he would fall asleep and I would think, oh gosh, am I going to sleep tonight? Am I going to sleep tonight? Is this the night where I'm going to sleep? And then like clockwork between 10, 11 o'clock, he would wake up and he would be up all night. I would not sleep at all. I did not sleep to the point where I knew all of the overnight programming on the Hallmark channel. (laughs) I knew that Golden Girls came on. They had like a two hour block. And then Frasier came on. They had like another two, three hour block. This is when I got into Frasier. Never watched it ever before. Heard about it. Knew it was this great show. But it wasn't until then that I'm like, oh, oh gosh, I'm into Frasier. And then Cheers would come on for a minute. And then I Love Lucy would roll in at about 4 (laughs) a.m. until like the news came on after that. And this was my night every single night. I didn't sleep at all. And not sleeping trickled into a whole bunch of other emotions and created a whole other thing. And so I became very irritable because I wasn't sleeping. Um, I didn't have much help. And I was also scared to ask for help outside of my actual home because I felt guilty for people having to have to drive so far just to come and help me. And I didn't want to seem like I didn't have it together. You know, I was someone who always wanted to be a mom more than I wanted to be a wife even. Like I I knew I was one of those people who was like, if I never get married, I never find the one, I'm still going to figure out how to have a baby. And... I was a woman and I felt like I should know what to do. And, and I used to work in, in DFACS, um, Department of Family and Children's Services. So I've always worked with kids. So I, I should know what to do. I've had babies with me several times. Like this should, this should come natural. And it, it was a struggle. And not only that, it was a struggle for me physically. I'd always been a very active person. I played sports all of my life. Um, I played soccer in college. I've always been just very athletic in my body. I did not like how I looked after I had a baby, even though rationally you just had a baby, you know, give yourself some grace and some time. I was hard on myself about that and breastfeeding, you know, I, I, I caught on really good after I got through that hard part. Um, but (laughs) It was a lot to just always feel like you're just supplying somebody something. Like you're just, I I can never leave him because either I'm going to leak or he's going to need milk or I'm going to be engorged. So I can't be away too long. So there was like this whole, like, I couldn't get a break of just being attached at all times. And then I was, I'm in the house by myself alone for like days and hours on time. So there was like a whole nother, like feeling trapped. And then there was, I'm always this person who, you know, liked entrepreneurial things and liked to have her own projects and liked to plan events and, you know, just be so independent in my own money making. And I didn't have a space to be able to do that. So then I felt trapped and I felt life was passing me by. And I just was starting to feel very miserable. And so with that irritability came depression. And then also... On top of that, I've never, I've never understood how people could 
think to be aggressive with their child. You know how like you hear about shaking baby syndrome? And I've never, ever, ever harmed Ezra in my life. But there were definitely times where I had to walk away because he would cry so much. I couldn't even think like at all. I couldn't concentrate. And I was so out of it because I wasn't sleeping and I couldn't figure out how to solve the problem that I would just want to scream or pull my hair out and I would have to walk away from him because I felt so frustrated with him and how I couldn't solve this problem. And then the fact that I would think that way or feel that way, then I would feel guilty because it was like, how could you think this way about this baby? You know, you're so blessed. There's people who would love to be in your shoes and, and you're just taking advantage of it and you're not really trying to, to figure it out. And I, I honestly just felt like I was, I just felt like I was failing really, really bad. And um, when it got really, really bad <laughs> was, there were times where I would be breastfeeding him in the middle of the night and I would fall asleep breastfeeding him. And then I would just wake up and he would not be in my arms and I would freak out in a panic and I would be looking everywhere like, where is he? Where is he? Where did he go? And then I'd look over to my side and he'd be in the bassinet and I would have no clue how he got there. None, (laughs) no recollection of how he got from here to here. I would have this panic of me harming him because I'm breastfeeding and maybe, you know, I have a, I have large breasts that I would smother him or he would roll out of my arms and fall out of the bed because I've fallen asleep and, and I would just be like, oh my God, what, where is he? Where did I do? Um, and he would just be in the bassinet and I don't remember how he got there. To this day, I don't know how he got there. And that happened many times. I would tell myself I would never co-sleep, but I would be so tired and I would just fall asleep and he'd be in the bed with, with me. And SIDS is real. Um, SIDS is very, very real and it can easily happen to anybody. And I personally know people who've lost their children to SIDS. And these are situations that set up your baby to die from SIDS. And, and he lived. Um, and I can look back now and I can say, that I was not in the right position to have been left alone with him. There was another time where I was cooking dinner and they say that you should sleep when the baby sleeps. But in my independence or in my thought of not working and just being at home, you know, you're just at the house with a baby. You can still 
do things. You know, your husband, he drives two hours away to work and he works these long 12-hour shifts. You can keep the house clean. You can cook. You know, you should do these things. So I'm super tired and I remember cooking meatloaf (laughs) for dinner and um, I fell asleep and um, it started to burn and there was smoke everywhere. So I'm freaking out and um, I'm like, I turn on the fan on the stove and I'm like running around and I'm like, I can't keep Ezra in the house because there's smoke everywhere. So I I take him and I put him in his swing and I sit him outside on the back porch and I'm opening all the windows and all the doors and I'm going back and forth. But this is like February. (laughs) Okay, so this is like late February and he shouldn't be outside because it's cold. So then I want to bring him inside, but then there's smoke everywhere. So I want to take him outside, but I'm by myself and I'm trying to run around and I'm just like, you are ridiculous. Like, why can't you get it together? Why can't you do it right? Why, what is wrong with you? Why are you falling asleep? And then the last time when it got really, really bad was there was one morning I was breastfeeding and my husband's talking to me. And I just see this image of this woman standing beside him. And he's talking to me and I'm looking at her. And then I'm looking at him. And then I'm looking at her. And I'm thinking, who who is this? And I was hallucinating. Um, which is a huge symptom of sleep deprivation. You can go into having hallucinations. And like... Sleep deprivation is used like a, a a form of torture for people who are in the military to learn how to capture people. Um, it can even be used as a way to train people who are in the military so that they'll be able to be able to do what they need to do in, in all sorts of conditions, you know, in war. And I was in it. Um, I was in it. It was when my my brother came to visit. So my parents had came up and my mom had offered to take Ezra for the night. And I slept so good. <laughs> I slept so good. And um I just felt so refreshed the next day and I and I felt like I could put myself together and I felt like just a brand new person. And Somehow in conversation, it dawned on me that maybe I should eliminate dairy from my diet. Um, maybe he's not able to digest it. Because my, I'm me, myself, I am lactose intolerant. But you know how, like, you know you're not supposed to eat some, but you, you'll, like, and dairy is in, like, everything. So I eliminated dairy, and he stopped having colic. Um, he stopped crying. He was able to digest better. I started to supplement with formula and it was heavy enough on his stomach at night where he could sleep for longer hours. And eventually it got better. But at first it was, it was so hard. It was so, so, so hard. And I did not think 
I was going to be able to, to do it. And I used to like have this like thought of have a baby, they say, you know, like, like I just felt so ill prepared. I felt like people often talk about, you know, sleep deprivation or you don't get any sleep or you don't get any rest, but I did not feel adequately prepared. I did not feel like people didn't tell me like to this extent that is that bad. And then also I didn't have much support. Um, I just didn't have anybody that was there. And then I didn't feel like it was in me to ask for help. Um, I had two friends that came. Um, one friend came twice during the day to like give me a nap. And I had one friend that came and stayed overnight once that my husband was going to be out of town. And even then, I felt guilty to say or talk about it. Um, and I felt the need to host them versus really use them for what they were offering. And I had an, my one of my best friends who lives in Baltimore. I remember we used to like Skype a lot during the day because she was a stay-at-home mom. And I told her that sometimes I would have thoughts of just getting in the car and leaving, like not coming back. Um, not leaving Ezra at home by himself, like of course when his dad is here, but just like escaping, like going off to like Atlantic City and just taking on a whole new life and like not coming back. I would have like thoughts of this. And I felt horrible for saying it. I felt like I was being dramatic. And she has four kids now. I think she had two then. And she was like, oh my gosh, Keisha, I've had those thoughts all the time. <laughs> she was like, I completely know exactly what you're saying. I felt that way many times. I get it. And that felt so refreshing to hear that someone else understood me without judging me. I had so much shame. Um, there were some friends that I had that did not have kids and I would try to explain how hard it was for me and they didn't get it. Um, they would say, but aren't you glad? Like, isn't this like the life that you wanted? Isn't this like a blessing from God? Like, I don't understand. And that felt hard to hear and to digest because it really fed into the guilt that I felt. And, and through all of that, when I say that about the special thing about Ezra, is that, first of all, that he survived, <laughs> um, that he stayed here, and that he was a really good baby. You know, when I really think about it, like, yes, he had colic, but he had it for a reason. And aside from that, he had such a chill disposition. And even after the colic, he continued to have a chill disposition. And now, you know, as a three-year-old, he is always happy. He is great company and he's three, you know, <laughs> it's not like we're having philosophical conversations, but he is really like someone to be entertained by and to enjoy. And he's super sweet and he's so affectionate and he's so loving. But during that time, I really felt like God gives you the child that you're meant to have that is right for you. And had I had any other baby with any other disposition or just anything else, anybody but him, I don't know if it would have ended up like it did. I felt like he was perfect for me. 
He was patient with me and he gave me the strength to get through it. And although I didn't have that bond and that connection when I first had him, it it developed over time where I could not live without him. I could never get in my car and go to Atlantic City and leave him behind. I couldn't. Um, and, and it was hard, but he made me so much stronger. And he made me see things about myself that I didn't know were there. Things that I needed to work through in therapy. Um, he just made me feel like, man, if I could do this, I can do anything. Like I could literally do anything. And now remember this one time I told this girlfriend this story. I was listening to Lawrence Hill, Miss Educational Lauren Hill's album in my car on my drive to work. This was like a year later. <laughs> and when Miss Education came out, I was maybe like fifth grade, maybe, maybe middle school. No, maybe it was middle school. I can't remember. But anyway, so when you're a kid, sometimes songs come out and you don't know, like you sing it and it sounds good, but you don't really get what the words mean until you're older and you've been through stuff and things kind of like stick with you. So Zion had came on her song and the second verse came through and I'm going to read you the words the specific words that had hit me she says and I thank you for choosing me to come through unto life to be a beautiful reflection of his grace see I know that a gift so great is only one God could create and I'm reminded every time I see your face And those words still, like, make me tear up when I hear it. And when I was driving in the car and that verse came on, I just started bawling, (laughs) like, just crying because I was so grateful Ezra chose me. And I felt like I was going to mess it up, (laughs) but he gave me the grace to get it together and to really know and be confident in myself as a mom over time. Like I really needed to grow through that experience. And this time around, I'm doing it so differently, like completely different. But at that time, I'm just so grateful for him. Like he means so much to me and he's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And, um, and when I say I'm doing things differently this time, so something that's happening towards the end of this month is I'm having a blessing way and I've always wanted to have one. I didn't have one in my first, um, but I wanted to do this for my second. And it's funny because there's a lot of people who don't know what it is. And I don't think I really knew the extent of what it was until I was talking to my doula about it. And, um, basically it's where... Um, women who are very important to me in my life, my closest people (laughs) who have contributed in some way to me being who I am as a mom. Rather they know what they did or they don't know, but they did something 
um, that really stuck with me in this journey of me gaining this strength and me really understanding who I am and how I was going to move forward. And it's less, it's like 10 or less women. And um, it's an evening of a ceremonial experience where I am able to really identify my supports and I'm able to be encouraged and I'm able to be lifted up as I take this, this passage on to being a mom for the second time. And I think like having this ceremony is me getting rid of the shame and me being very vulnerable and transparent and not feeling like a burden, not feeling like, you know, I'm just interrupting people's lives and I'm wasting their gas to have to drive all the way out here. But these are people who love me and care about me. And if the shoe was on the other foot, I would drop, drop what I'm doing to be there for them as well. And I'm so excited about it. <laughs> I'm so, so, so excited about it. And I'm blessed to be able to have friends that would be there for me. I just need to use them. And I need to ask for help. And I think that we don't talk about that enough as well. I don't think we talk about how it's okay to not be okay. It's okay not to know what to do. And all you have to do is is tap into your tribe. I don't have a lot of family. My husband doesn't have a lot of family, but our friends are our family. And that is a blessing. And um and and in that experience, I think that had I called a friend like, "Hey, I have not slept. Can you please come over?" They would have come. Um if I had have said, "Hey, I don't I don't feel like I'm doing a good job." They would have encouraged me. But people don't know how to help you if you don't if you don't ask or if you don't even show that you need help. And I just wanted to put up a front or a facade as if I had it together when I did not feel like I did have it together at all. And another thing that I would like to encourage women to do is to tell their birth story. I feel like every time I do talk about it, it's healing to me in a way more and more. Um, and it's just like getting it out and, and people sometimes don't realize how pregnancy can go well, labor and delivery can go well, but the after experience can be very traumatic. People can have traumatic births. People can have traumatic pregnancies, but these are all a part of that maternal cycle that really affects us mentally, physically, and emotionally. And we take for granted how, Yes, this is a, a a great experience as far as being able to bring this child into this world it is phenomenal and it outweighs the bad, but there's still a lot that goes into it because it is a woman bringing a whole human into this world and his adjustment is a lot of responsibility, is a lot of societal pressure, it's a lot of internal pressure that we can put on ourselves And I think the more that we talk about it and the more that we support and we uplift each other, the easier and better it can be. I don't think, you know, for everybody, it will always be like a a walk in the park. I have a good friend and I told her she was like a unicorn because it was literally like a walk in the park for her. The whole thing, the whole before, during, after, until today, still walk in the park for her. 
And everybody's just not like that. And it is such a blessing that it is like that for her. But it's not like that for everybody. And it's okay that it's not like that for everybody. And not to make people feel bad that it isn't like that for everybody. Um, And these are the conversations that we had. And so I encourage you and I challenge you to talk about it. To tell a friend. If you had a hard period, if you had a hard time, tell a friend. Write it down. Journal it. Just get it out. Because it's important to do so. Because when we repress it, we repress it. Sometimes it'll show up like when you're driving in a car listening to a Lauryn Hill song and you don't know why you are crying hysterically. <laughs> you just, you don't know. Um, but I would love to hear some of your stories. I would love, rather it was easy, rather it was hard. I would like to just know about it. Um, so please email me, um, write me. And, um, or even comment on Instagram on the post that I'm going to put up. But that is all for today, guys. <laughs> it's a happy ending. I got it out. Woo-woo. And um, I will let you know how the blessing way goes when I have it later on this month. But in the meantime, keep pushing. Choosing me.